Welcome to Life in Purple, providing you with the latest from women entrepreneurs, amazing mums, human interest stories, and celebrity guests. Your host, Laura Sprague, discusses women's topics such as success, empowerment, perseverance, lifestyle, and much more. Laura also offers a fun and unique perspective while providing listeners with valuable tips on how to successfully conquer the many issues women may face. Come experience your life in purple. And now, here's your host, the life coach with the most, Laura Sprague. Hello, Lip Talk Nation. Welcome to Life in Purple. I'm your host, Laura Sprague, and thank you so much for listening to this episode. Before I introduce our featured guest, I just wanted to say I hope that you've been able to listen to our previous episodes, especially our most recent one which is my story and my journey of conquering a childhood tragedy. If you have gleaned any value from our amazing guests so far, feel free to reach out and send me an email to lara at larasprag.com and let me know if anything has resonated with you so far because I want to hear how you all are living your life in purple. On our show today, we have an outstanding guest who has a passion to help people. Ross Rosenberg is an entrepreneur, national speaker, psychotherapist, best-selling and award-winning author of the book, The Human Magnet Syndrome, Why We Love People Who Hurt Us. Ross is best known for his psychoanalysis of a codependent person and a narcissist. He has been featured on many media channels, including Fox News, and contributes often to the Huffington Post. Welcome to Life in Purple, Ross. How are you today? I am doing great. And thank you, Laura, so much for inviting me on your show. I've heard such wonderful things about your show, and and, and you guys are just doing important work. Thank you for having me on it. Ross, it is an honor for you to be on the show, and I definitely believe in teamwork, and I'm attracted to people who love helping people, and you're definitely one of those that's been in my radar. So thank you for being on the show today. So I know a little bit about your story. I've done some research, and Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, before we get into the book and how you um, talk about the narcissist and codependent people, I want to know how you got started. So where are you from originally? And maybe you can tell us how you got your start. Well, I'm originally from Mount Prospect, Illinois, and I've traveled all around the world and was in the army, lived out east, west, Japan, and eventually uh, ended up uh, back in my hometown about for the last 15 years. And I live now in Arlington Heights, Illinois, and have my clinical practice, clinical care consultants in the same area. But how did I get to where I am now. I started because I was a wounded 17-year-old who was self-medicating his problems, his pain of having a narcissistic parent. And I found drugs to do that. And that led me to a rehab facility. And in that, the 17-year-old almost drug-addicted kid realized because of a wonderful therapist that there was actually something really good about him, that he was a good listener and was good at helping people with their problems. And that was an incredible point in my life where for the first time I heard from someone else that there was something good about me. And so I made a promise at age 17 that when I grow up, I want to help other people and find the source of their pain and be happier. So that's where I come from. And and that 17-year-old kid lives inside of me. And I touch the emotional part of him sometimes, both either in my personal work or my professional work. 
it keeps me grounded. Wow, Ross, I love how you just said that because you are so young. You know, at age 17, most people don't decide at that age to do something, you know, about themselves and wanting to get better and to be addicted to drugs at that age also. So I'm wondering, Ross, you know, that even though at age 17 and you say that you decided, so can you tell Lip Talk Nation how your passion grew to help people? Well, the story is really the solution of the idea of the human magnet syndrome. You know, I come from a severely narcissistic father who passed recently and equally severely codependent mother who's also gone. And like any child, a narcissistic parent, I grew up as not ever understanding what unconditional love was. I had to work really, really hard to get the scraps of affirmation and love. So, you know, my childhood was a littered with unhappy moments of uh, feeling lonely and disconnected and not knowing myself. And that pushed, that, that as I understand now, created what I now call a relationship template. I learned that I'm only as good as what I do, and I'm not good at who I am just for who I am. And that personality type, which that relationship template manifests into codependency. But of course, I didn't know that until after my second divorce, and I'm, I'm in my, my late 30s, early 40s, and I realized, WTF, why is this happening to me? Why is a guy who likes to take care of people, is always trying to help these women who you know I fell in love with and I wanted to marry, by the way, one at a time, <laughs> why do these lives, um, why, do, why, why do they always hurt me so much? And so I decided that I couldn't deal with the pain and the humiliation. Because, I mean, think about it, a therapist who's been divorced twice, so I, just, I went into therapy and decided I was going to solve it. I can't, if I'm going to screw up this badly and, and carry all that shame, I had to at least try to solve it. And I learned something that changed my life. I learned that it wasn't them. It wasn't the narcissist. It wasn't these harmful people that were the source of the problem. It was something that was inside of me, something that compelled me to be attracted to these type of people who felt in the beginning so beautiful and wonderful, familiar. And once I realized that I was perpetually, if not reflexively, attracted to narcissists, then I could finally solve the problem because it's really easy to say what's wrong with someone else. But that doesn't solve the problem that the human magnet syndrome, the, the human magnet syndrome is solved by, underst by understanding that codependents are almost magnetically attracted to narcissists. And that was the beginning of my journey that resulted in my writing, you know, essays and articles and eventually a training and that book. And since then, 11 years ago, I met the love of my life, my soulmate, Carell, and had had a chance to experience not only love of a wonderful woman, but self-love, which is really the antidote to codependency. Ross, you just pointed out a few things, you know, how you went through emotional pain and unconditional love that you didn't have. And I know right. that many of the listeners out there right now are feeling the same way and are going to cling on to every word that you say right now. And it's really sad that um, went through this. However, it caused you to figure it out. You said that you had these two, you know, married before, you know, to two mm -hmm. different women. And here you are, a therapist, and you wanted to figure it out. You wanted to solve this. And it, you said it was something inside of you. It wasn't them. And I want the listeners to catch hold of that. If they're not catching hold of anything else, you said it's, it wasn't them, but something inside of you. And then you talk about self-love, which is something that Life in Purple is all about, teaching yourself to love yourself, basically. So in the book that, uh, that you wrote, The Human Magnet Syndrome, you mentioned two specific types of people, the codependent and the narcissist. So could you explain the differences uh, to the listeners for me, please? 
Absolutely. But if you bear with me, I want to say something really quickly about what you said previously that will help your listeners. Yes. Once we realize, once we codependents realize it's something about us, that's something we can work on. We can't control others. Even uh, Codependency Anonymous says in step one is that the problem is you're trying to control people that can't be controlled and your life's unmanageable. Once you realize that your picker is broken, and, and my, my old therapist told me, and he would flex his index finger, says, Ross, the problem is that your picker is broken, and the fix, the fix the problem is you have to fix the picker, and that is you. So I wanted to impress upon that is that we can solve our own problems, but we can't solve the problems of others. So to your question, is a, code, a codependent, what is a narcissist? The part that has been really frustrating for me is to use these words that have been bandied upon, used all over all over the internet, the media, there's books, and everyone has a little bit different definition. And so what I decided is I was going to redefine codependency and narcissism in the most simplistic way so that more people could understand what it is and not what it's not. So codependent uh, is as follows. It's a person who, within relationships, feels compelled to take care of everyone else's needs for love, respect, and care while wanting other people to reciprocate, but those people don't. They get upset. They try to get those people to reciprocate. These people don't, and they stay in a relationship. So it is a caretaker, an altruistic person, who's always giving love, respect, and care to others, but the people that they are choosing aren't able to give the same back to them, and yet, and they stay in a relationship. The key part of that definition is they stay in a relationship because being a caretaker is not pathological. It's not a diagnosis. In fact, that's what we should all should aspire to, but it's being in a relationship in which you're not being taken care of and you're afraid to leave it. Now, inversely, or the opposite of codependent, because it has to be an opposite if I'm going to call it a human magnet syndrome. The magnets are opposite energy and they attract each other. They have to be opposite. The narcissist is someone who, within a relationship, needs, requires all of the love, respect, and care to be given to them and does not reciprocate. And they have no idea that there is an imbalance. And when the person who is in a relationship with them, which is naturally the codependent, they need that person to have low self-esteem. They need that person to not believe in themselves because that guarantees the steady stream of love, respect, and care. So simply, the codependent is a person that gives and gives and gives, doesn't like it, tries to change the person, but stays in the relationship. The narcissist takes, takes, and takes, and doesn't like it when someone stands up for themselves or sets boundaries. Ross, you just gave me a lot to chew on right here and the Lip Talk Nation as well because I have a lot of thoughts that just went uh, through my head, you know, as you're defining them. And I know that some of them, uh, the listeners out there are going, oh my goodness, you know, that's me or my friend is married, you know, to a narcissist or vice versa. And right now I really want... um, the, the definitions that you gave to really ring out to the, the listeners. So could you give us bullet points one more time for the codependent and the narcissist? Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the bullet point and then I'm going to make the connection that okay. um, is critical in understanding my work. The codependent is, uh, is dysfunctionally altruistic. Um, they give, give, and give, love, respect, and care. They want people to reciprocate, and they don't. They try to control that person, and they stay in a relationship. The narcissist takes, takes and takes, makes it all about themselves. They're self-centered, they're arrogant, entitled, they, um, they believe that they deserve special attention and recognition, 
and they are only they only feel satisfied in relationships in which their needs for love, respect, and care are taken care of. So if we understand the analogy of the dance, the dance started everything. I wrote an essay. It's called Codependency Don't Dance. You can see it, get it on the internet. If we look, if we look at dancers, you need a leader and a, a follower. The fact that they are opposite in their role makes the partnership work. You can't have two leaders in a dance couple because you know they'd be like pulling and pushing against each other and stepping on each other's toes. And two followers, they would just stand still. So just like a dance couple, the follower or the codependent needs the leader or the narcissist to some feel comfortable in a relationship because someone who doesn't have self-esteem, who's lived their whole whole life not knowing uh, that it was safe to do what they want to do, only knows and paradoxically feels safe and comfortable um, in a relationship and where someone directs them. And the other dance partner, the narcissist, um, can only feel safe in a relationship in which they can um, they can not only direct the course of the relationship or the dance partnership, but they can get all the applause and all the notice. So once we understand the dance concept, we understand the human magnet syndrome, is that when we meet people and there's an unconscious attraction to the opposite because they remind us of our childhood and what we experienced and what we learned about love. The person who grew up um, with a, a narcissistic parent um, and the relationship template was, I am, I am worthwhile because of what I do for someone else. Or the other person who grew up with a narcissist who learned, I am only worthwhile when I take care of myself, who ends up being a narcissist. The, this is the magnetic force that brings the narcissist and the codependent over, predictably and over and over again into a relationship. And that's why I kept marrying, <laughs> it sounds like a lot, but marrying the wrong type of people because I had yet to work on the inner forces that were that were underneath the human magnet syndrome. Wow, Ross, I can relate so much uh, specifically to the codependent person because that was me, you know, and that's the reason Life from Purple was started because I decided, you know, to conquer, you know, a childhood tragedy. And I didn't realize for a long time that I was such a giver, you know, like give, 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 give. And even going right. back to people who didn't like me, but still wanting them to like me, you know, and I, I know that a lot of listeners out there are exactly right now, you know, not, um, they, until right now you, you just explain to them, um, why they are doing that. So I know that you talked about, that you are a recovering codependent. So which I told you resonates with me and possibly Mm -hmm. many of the listeners. So describe some of the obstacles or even you mentioned the mental detox you went through um, to no longer be codependent. Well, one of the the ideas that I've developed, um, and it's funny because the ideas I've developed now really are things that I've known my whole life Mm -hmm. and experienced, and and I finally kind of put them into words and, and, and they finally have they explain codependency is that codependents, you know, live most of their life feeling lonely. And I call it pathological loneliness. And that's an emotional feeling that comes from being brought up in an environment in which you never felt worthy of love just because who you are. And there's two forms of pathological loneliness. There's how you feel when you're around people and how you feel when you are with people. But the loneliness is so deeply embedded in severe and codependence 
that when they meet a narcissist, the perfect dance partner, the one that feels perfect in the beginning, I mean, of course, in the beginning, there's wonderful chemistry and explosion of excitement, intimacy, sex, you know, whatever that happens. In, but the draw eventually brings them into feeling trapped in this relationship in which they cannot get out. And the obstacle is the pathological loneliness, because if the codependent should break up, relieve, or be broken up with by the narcissist, and any codependent will tell you, they are going to experience an intense form of loneliness. I call this the withdrawal symptom of codependency if we want to understand it as an addiction. I said earlier that the, the, the antidote to codependency is self-love. Everything that I do in codependency treatment connects to building a core of self-love because you can't let yourself be in relationships that are harmful and toxic if you love yourself. Now, that's complicated. It takes a while. But those two are the major obstacles. I can't agree with you more on that right there. That was a self-discovery I've had within the last two years is self-love. And mm -hmm. I didn't go to a lot of therapists. I probably should have in my past, but that was the one thing that I realized. And we're not taught how to love ourselves, Ross. That baffles me. You know, we're taught that it's pride versus confidence. And so a lot of my listeners out there are probably going to be writing in and, and wanting um, more advice. So I'll send them to the right channels. But that self-love is resonating with me. And I know that you talk about that mental detox and that there it will last for a while. So if someone goes and gets help, how long would that mental detox last? Um, the detox part of the pain of loneliness will not go away if you're not ensconced or embraced in a therapy process because like any addiction, it's almost impossible to quit, effectively quit alcohol just by yourself. You need to be within a broader, a broader support network. So if, if the person is in therapy, they're in a support network, say Codependency Anonymous, which can be found at coda.org, C-O-D-A, or a church, synagogue, mosque, you know, whatever their friends, and they're working on the issues, the loneliness withdrawal symptom lasts between two weeks and two months. And in, in some of my clients who are cross-addicted, which have more than one addiction, they've told me that going through this pathological loneliness withdrawal was harder than you know, alcohol or other drugs that they quit because it pulled at the emotional part of their being. It wasn't just a physical pain, it was an emotional pain. Right. Okay, Ross, right there, you just pointed out something really good because loneliness is an addiction and you call it pathological loneliness. And so with alcohol or drugs, you know, it's not like you're going to be doing those 24 hours a day. You know, with somebody who's talking negative to themselves, you know, or has that addiction of loneliness, it's something that they almost can't get away from. So I can see you know, how that would be harder to break, that addiction. So what are some symptoms that people experience when they go through the detox of this? Well, well the symptoms is really a focus, a feeling of overwhelming loneliness. Mm -hmm. And within that loneliness is our feelings of self-contempt, self-hate, self-doubt. You know, just like any addict who's going through withdrawals, you know, they have what we call cognitive distortions or, or stinking thinking. And, and they start lying to themselves. You know, I remember when I quit smoking, just, you know, I would go, just one cigarette. You know, I can have one. I deserve it. Or I would say, you know, no, heck with those guys. You know, I don't need to quit. They can deal with my bad breath. <laughs> or, or whatever the crazy thinking that we have, our brain comes up with reasons to get its fix. And it tricks us. So one symptom is the distorted thoughts. The other is is remembering solely 
which is a form of distorted thinking, the, the nice parts or the nice elements or the nice traits of the narcissist you love. You start focusing on the wonderful memories, you know, when you guys first met. Because in the human magnet syndrome, it almost starts off with a huge positive beginning. And and you recall that. You recall, you know, the glow of when you met, the, the moments when you reconciled. And, and you focus on that and you start to lament and miss that which was good. The, the other the other is um, a relapse. So if we if, if if someone is forced to stop drinking alcohol, they might just be doubling their sleeping medication or they might start smoking weed. So we call that a, um, a transfer addiction or a cross addiction. You use one addiction or one substance to medicate the pain of quitting the other. So they might start um, drinking more than they used to. Or in the case of the relationship, which is kind of like a relationship addiction, mm-hmm. is you might start going on Match.com or you might start, you know, dating other people or hooking up with other people. And not so much because you want another relationship, but you're just trying to distract yourself or in in a way to make yourself forget about the pain you're going through. Lip Talk Nation, did you just catch what Ross said? He's talking about how we can justify the actions or the thoughts that we even have. You know, we can convince ourselves that it will be okay if, we, you know, in, in my opinion, what you just said, Ross, was that, you know, or the one more time and, and how you mentioned even going to Match.com and how you said it, it was just to get a fix, you know, more right. than it was to fix the problem. It was just to be in the moment to feed the need. It's almost a need for them, for a codependent person to be that way. Wow. Okay, so we've talked a lot about codependencies. So I I would love for you to describe um, a narcissist. You you know, you mentioned it as an emotional manipulator. So Mm -hmm. will you describe this a little more for our listeners? Sure. Well, first of all, when I'm talking about narcissists or pathological narcissists, I have categorized them. So, you know, what I've done in my book and in in my subsequent teaching is I'm not a pop therapist. I'm I'm not here to just make up terms because they sound cool and they resonate with others, is I believe that they need to be understood and be specific. So that's why I came up with the definition of codependent. It's simple. It's compact. Well, and the definition that I use for a narcissist, I call them pathological narcissists. And that includes one of four conditions, narcissistic personality disorder, antisocial personality disorder, or sometimes we know them as sociopaths or psychopaths, or borderline personality disorder, and or someone who is an addict, because we know that when someone's addicted to something, they act narcissistically. And so the narcissists are predominantly, and what ties all of these narcissistic type of people together into my category of pathological narcissism is in relationships, they're focused almost primarily and solely on their own needs, and, and they're unable to reciprocate. And what I've done also is I've subcategorized the personality disorder narcissistic personality disorder into four categories. So because, and in one of my videos, Covert Narcissism, which I think has gotten 250,000 views, has really, really resonated with my viewers, is it helps people understand that not all narcissists are the same. We have the garden variety narcissist, which is the blatant in-your-face narcissist that most of us know. They don't try to hide it and they're not aware of it. But there's also the covert narcissist, the one that hides it, that is actually aware that if they acted the way they really were, they would not be able to gain in their professional standing, in their career or money. So you think of, you know, talk show hosts or therapists or even rabbis or priests or whomever, they pretend to be altruistic people in order to get what they need. But that's only a front because in their relationships, they are severely narcissistic. And then there's the, then there's the malignant narcissist who is is a lying, deceitful, and unconsciously hurtful narcissist. So I guess what I'm saying in totality, 
pathological narcissists, no matter how I define them and how I subdivide them, they are in relationships, they cannot go beyond their own needs, and if they should give anything to anyone, it almost always has strings attached, even if it doesn't seem that way in the moment. Lip Talk Nation, I could not have summed that up any better than that right there. Ross, thank you so much for that summary. I think there's a lot more understanding now between the two, uh, codependent and narcissist. So I want to ask you, who are your heroes? Who do you look up to? Do you have any mentors? I, I do have I do have my heroes. And my hero, oddly, well, it's not oddly, my heroes, Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King, and Gandhi. Let me tell you why I chose those three. It's because... They taught people who were oppressed, who were controlled, who were condemned to secondary class, who were marginalized. They taught them that they matter. They taught them that to believe in themselves. And they taught them that the only way for them to be seen, appreciated, and loved is to fight for themselves in a way that did not match the aggressor's fight. You know, fight with love, fight with strength. Now, of course, Lincoln had the Civil War, so that's a different thing. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but if you look at what Lincoln, what Gandhi, and, and Martin Luther King said, it's about love, and you have to value yourself, love yourself, love your neighbor. And even even Lincoln, when you when you look at the Gettysburg Address, and, you, and you, he didn't like the war; he didn't want the war. So it is the people that value people's potential without hurting each other. And that was those three. Oh my goodness. You just gave us a lot more to chew on, Ross. What an excellent uh, interview that you've just given us. And it is all about teaching people to, you know, I think to stop suppressing and how you just married the two together. I love that uh, the title of your book, The Human Magnet Syndrome. And I think that's uh, very easy for people to understand. So we're going to move on to a different part of the show, Ross. And it's called our lightning round. And we're going to get to know you on a different level and I'm going to ask the questions and just answer the first thing that comes to your mind. Ross, are you ready? I am. If you could have a superpower, what would it be? It would be to heal everyone from their attachment trauma because all of the woes in this world, all of the wars, all of the murders, all of the bad things come from a, a point in time. And that point of time is something happened in their life when they were children, and they were hurt, and they weren't loved, and they weren't cared for. And if somehow we could make every parent unconditionally love their child, I can promise you, guarantee you, that the world would be a happy place, and that would make me the happiest person in the world, (laughs) for people to love each other and not kill each other. Ross, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, that's... That's what I want people to do, you know, is is to love, love themselves. And that's a really awesome superpower that you want to have, Ross. All right, so how do you like your coffee? Or do you like coffee? <laughs> okay, that's a trick one. Um, <laughs> I am a coffee snob connoisseur, and, and I actually buy my beans. You know, I buy beans green, you know, from from a, a guy who, and I buy it from different regions of the world, and I roast it myself, and I absolutely love my coffee, and I like it with um, with um, a little bit of cream at the color of caramel. No, no flavors, no sugar. Made with a you know, French press pot, so you can get the natural oils and flavor of the coffee with just enough cream to make it caramel. Ross, I'm right there with you on that coffee thing as well. I probably am a coffee snob as well, so that's pretty awesome. All right, Ross, could you tell us about your most embarrassing moment? Oh, no. Really? (laughs) 
Yes. Okay, well, the most embarrassing... Oh, before you know that, you have to know that I am... I love everyone and don't have any bit of prejudice or racism in my body. Okay. okay now, that, now that I'll tell you the most embarrassing story. So I was, in a, I was on a trip with my son in Jamaica, and uh, I used to be a professional photographer. And these uh, three lovely women asked me to take a picture of them. And the sun was in the background. And whenever the sun is in the background, it makes the people in the front look dark. And because they were African-American, they're, um, they're, 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 I couldn't see the details in their face. Okay. So I went up to them and I said, and I used the wrong words, I said, I really need to take this picture over again uh, because your faces are too dark. <laughs> and they looked at me like, I can't believe you just said that. And my son looked at me, and, and who was like 15, who said, oh, my God, I just been embarrassed. And then I, and I realized what I said. I said, oh, my God. Oh. And, and I think my son still reminds me of that because he likes to see me turn red and get upset. Right. So, but that was probably the most humiliating moment because I can't even imagine that I would say consciously something so horribly rude. And right. <laughs> So there, there you go. Okay, nice. Lip Talk Nation, did you catch that? See, even but, Ross can be vulnerable with us and tell us his most embarrassing moment. I got to say, that is pretty funny, Ross. Now, now, <laughs> now, my son was using that. We all tease each other, and we have our little moments where, and and he would like. Now, now that's out in the open. Okay, I got a final question for you on this lightning round. All right, big debate out there. I know where I stand on it, but I need to know from you: How does your toilet paper roll? Is it top or is it bottom? I mean, I've heard I've heard that question among some of my clients and friends, uh, top or bottom, but uh-huh. it, it didn't it didn't it didn't go with toilet paper. Um, <laughs> I, so I'm gonna I'm gonna answer it, and it'll tell you a lot about my personality. Okay. I don't know, and I don't <laughs> <Wow>. care. You <laughs> um, don't know. I um, if I think about it, and if I if I ever thought about it, and I'm thinking about it now, so I don't. I would want it bottom. Okay. You know what this tells me, Ross? Okay, so the majority of my people, you know, that I interview are women, and and I know that they, most of them care. So this is very interesting to me, (laughs) (laughs) that you don't care. Wow, Ross. Ross, you are so great, and I really appreciate you being on the show. And I have one final question for you, you know, for our listeners, you know, that are going through their own obstacles, and maybe they are realizing that they are lonely or feeling unworthy. What final advice do you have for them? And this is the advice that is the foundation of of my whole life and everything I do. And it's, it's a quote by George Eliot. It is never too late to be the person you should have been. It is never too late to be the person you should have been. And what that means is that, you know, it's an acknowledgement that we didn't choose to be raised by dysfunctional parents or not perfect parents. We didn't choose to be, to have these, these genes that made us this way or that way. But we have a choice to be the very best person we can. And it, and that was not determined by what happened to us um, as a child. We can change our history. We have to believe in ourselves and understand that who we are is what we are to become. Wow, what a great quote. I actually have that in my notes, and I didn't get to put that in there. And I'm so glad that you did, Ross. Thank you so much. All right, so for our listeners out there who want to find out more about you, could you tell Lip Talk Nation where they should go? HumanMagnetSyndrome.com. And if you are interested in my trainings, uh, advancedclinicaltrainers.com. And those two sites will link you to all the other sites. And uh, for YouTube, just just type in Ross Rosenberg, 
and it, Rosenberg is spelled B-E-R-G, and you'll see my channel and uh, and enjoy um, the content. I, I try to I try to add to it. In fact, um, I, I always add to uh, uh, I always add interviews and and latest ideas and thoughts and, and clips from trainings, and so um, subscribe to it, and you'll kind of see what's happening in, in the mind of the, this one therapist. Ross, you have been amazing, and, and I wanted to say thank you once again for spending time with us. You know, at Life in Purple, where the broken can heal and the successful can conquer. It's Absolutely. been a pleasure, Ross, yes, hearing your story and letting our listeners glean value from your experience. Lip Talk Nation, if you have enjoyed today's episode or any of our previous episodes, I would love to hear from you. If you're an iPhone user, go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And for our Android users, send me a quick email to lara at laurasprague.com. We appreciate you and we'll see you soon. And as always, what you say is what you become.